for UK investors only. This podcast is in association with Janice Henderson Investors. For promotional purposes, capital at risk. The past performance of an investment is not a reliable guide to its future performance. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as advice. Hi everyone, and welcome to the Master Investors Podcast. My name is James Faulkner, I'm the editor of Master Investor Magazine, and today's guest is none other than James Henderson of Janice Henderson Investors. We'll be talking about James's long and distinguished career in fund management, and we'll also be looking at Henderson Opportunities Trust, which is one of three investment trusts that James manages. Here's the podcast, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, welcome to the show, everybody. We've got a very special guest for you today. We've got James Henderson from Janus Henderson Investors. Good to have you on, on the show, James. Well, good to be here. Thank you. Good stuff. You're here to talk about Henderson Opportunities Trust, but you also manage a couple of other trusts alongside that, Lordy Venture and the Lowland Investment Company. But today we're focusing on uh, Henderson Opportunities. Just to begin with, it won't have escaped our listeners that you share a name with the company. How did you get into investing? Was it always a foregone conclusion that you were going to be involved in this this industry? No, um, I joined Henderson's in 1983 for a short period, and I just have stayed ever since, yeah. which is rather a long time. But it has changed a lot during that period. We've been bought by AMP, we've been sold by AMP, now we've merged with Janus. I think when I joined, <coughs> they were managing £2 billion, and now I think they're managing £380 billion. So I just wondered what 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 your earliest experiences experiences of investing and what were the sort of what defines you as an investor? Do you think? I mean, in the eighties, Henderson uh, grew very quickly, and the open ended side, of the unit trusts, were, were leading the charge. Mm. And um, perhaps the easiest way of showing that would be in Henderson's own stock price. Henderson's came to the market, I think, at one pound seventy in nineteen eighty three. They were twenty five pounds by 1987 right. because the unit trust side was growing so fast and I was involved in some of those unit trusts and we, the money was pouring through the door and then an 87 crash a lot of it poured out of the door yeah whatever you do as it can do with open-ended uh, so, exactly so <laughs> the the presence travail the problems in the open-ended arena have, we've seen before and you always do need a certain degree of liquidity in open-ended trusts. I, I was running one at that stage called Best of British, and um, the, the 80% of the unit holders left um, in the autumn of 87. But because we were called Best of British, we were big liquid companies, we managed to meet those redemptions, but it was it was scary. And do you say what affects you as an investor? Um, the autumn of 87 was quite a learning curve. Yeah. I so one from that I learned that for certain sort of investments, you have to have a closed end structure. There's nothing new in that, mm. and that's why it's such a privilege to be run hot and as an opportunities trust, mm. where we've got virtually sixty percent of the investments in AIM. Uh, AIM is less liquid, but because of the closed end structure, you can be invested in that area, mm. and we we've got scope when there it's forced selling of aim stocks to be adding because we know we won't be losing the money how's your investing style evolved over the years i think um valuation it was valuation focusing on companies it's 
it's very difficult and I think I haven't found it any easier trying to make big market calls. Mm. That's, that's too so you're very difficult. much a, a bottom-up investor, I think a stock that's, picker. That's right. I think if the market will blow hot and cold on things. If something's a decent company, whether the market's blowing hot or cold, you shouldn't worry too much. You should try and make use of it. So when things are out of favour, you should be adding to them if they're proper decent companies. Mm. And you should and then somewhere along the line they get overvalued and you have to sell and rotate it into things that are good value. At the moment it's the things that are good businesses are going on to higher and higher ratings. Things with any question marks are about them are falling and it's been stretched quite far. You have to be slow in selling the good things to rotate into the more right. problematic things. Because today's problem companies will be tomorrow's perceived good companies. Mm. But it, so it, it takes time. So moving to, to Henderson Opportunities Trust then, looking at the portfolio breakdown, you, you sort of highlight seven different portfolio classifications. And I just wondered sort of like what the, what the sort of what the strategy is behind that and what the reason is for doing that. Yes, um, I think one of the things I've seen is that medium, the smaller company element has given more growth over time. A, a small company, a company can grow from 50 million market cap, let's say, to 500 million market cap. It's more likely to happen than a company to go from 500 million to 5 billion. Yeah. Very few companies achieve that. Sort of elephants don't gallop. Exactly. Elephants <laughs> don't gallop. That said, there is always more volatility and problems in smaller businesses. So I believe you have to run a relatively long list because things will always go wrong mm. in some of them. But you only need a few to go from 50 to 500. Yeah. And it makes up for quite a few that go wrong. You need a portfolio approach to do that. And you need diversity within that portfolio yeah. to take out some of the volatility that comes with that approach. So that's why we have seven different buckets. Each bucket uses different valuation metrics. We need a long list, 90 stocks, because that way we take out some of that volatility. Mm. So, and presumably it kind of, the the different classifications complement one another because obviously, for example, values underperforming at the moment, whereas growth might be outperforming. So it's, it's almost like a, you know, stabilizing factor. That, that's that's right. You know, our small, medium-sized companies, compounders, we call them, yeah. are going on to very high valuations at the moment. They are very good companies, some of them, mm. but the valuation is 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 got quite demanding. But because we have a bucket in that area, we stick with them, but we reduce, we reduce, the, keep keep make sure that bucket doesn't get mm. too big. At the same time, it gives us scope to buy the recovery type situation, which is a smaller part of the portfolio at the moment. Yeah. And that's where the real value is. And somewhere out there, there will be the market's <clears throat> perception of the growth will think that that's a bit overvalued and they'll revert to the cheaper stuff. But mm. I don't know when I don't make those kind of calls. I just focus and buying good things in each of those buckets it's quite a large portfolio as well isn't it is it around about 87 stocks yes. i think yeah yeah what's what's the reasoning behind that because i know a lot of fund managers like to run quite a concentrated portfolio so what 
why did you approach Henderson we, Opportunities buy, that way? We things before the story's out, but a little bit to the story's out, but there's still more to come. It doesn't get a tick in every box of being a perfect investment. Right. And some of those don't become perfect investments. But by the time they get a tick in every box, by the time everyone mm-hmm. perceives them to be very good companies, the, the price has usually gone up a long way. Mm. So we buy early when there are still maybe problems, the company's coming through those problems before the growth story's totally proven. And sometimes the growth story won't come through, but occasionally mm. it will. And that's why what drives the NAV right. over time. But, but to do that, you need to run a relatively long list of stocks. You can be, funnily enough, you can be bold of a long list because you buy that much earlier. At the moment, there is a there is this move to to shorter lists, but that's because the market is quite narrow mm. at the moment. Somewhere out there, the market broadens out, and the recovery type value stocks will participate in being revalued at that time. What sort of criteria do you look for in a, a potential investment? Well, that's why we have the different buckets. Different, the the seven buckets have, have different criteria. That but are, are there any to... sort of criteria that sort of overarching criteria that you always look for? Strong no. cash flow, anything like that? No, no. I mean, a recovery stock probably doesn't have strong cash flow. The long ter- long term growth compounder mm. that that really good company would have would have those characteristics. But no, a recovery stock probably is probably got a cash flow problem. Yeah. Because the, you see a way of that being dealt with, that it's an attractive investment. Um, early stage companies definitely aren't generating cash. At the moment, some of the early stage companies are being sold down in the market because of technical reasons. Mm. Lack of liquidity in certain funds is leading to them being sold down. That's throwing up opportunities because if the science is good, There'll be good long-term investments, but you can't you can't have an investment uh, rule that tells you science is good in that company <laughs> and that that science will be really commercial one day. You're not going to get that from a spreadsheet. Yeah. You're only going to get that if you visit and know the companies. So that's why we have the different boxes. Um, another box would be small oil companies. Again, you can't use the same valuation criteria. You have to try and work out whether their, their proven and probable reserves will lead to commercial success. And for some periods, that part of the portfolio doesn't perform because there is no new find or anything. Mm. And then last year, it was the strongest bucket of our lot. Um, saying like Serica coming through yeah. very strongly. So just digging into the portfolio in a bit more detail then. You've had your fair share of disappointments. There was conviviality that I think they actually went bust, didn't it? So what was the, the, the lesson to be learned from that one? I, we had sold some on the way up. So actually, yes, it was disappointing and we should have sold the lot. But I don't. I kicked myself on the day. Then you've got to put it behind you and move on. The lesson was it was it grew too fast. It was too ambitious. In bargain booze, it's sort of all right business. It was buying the Matthew Clark business, that kind of business, very very small margin, drink distributor, very very low margin, right. really strong controls, and the company didn't have those strong controls. I kicked myself for still having some um, when it when it went bust. But, um, you know, we had sold stock on the way. Um, the bargain booze story <clears> was, for a while, a good story and was growing fast, but they started to believe they could do too much. They started running too 
too fast. So, although the company itself went bust, the the overall impact on the the performance of the portfolio was mitigated because you kind of took took profits we or took sold, sold stock at certain it, yes, points. Exactly. So, on a <clears throat> three or four year view, it wouldn't have hurt. It would have actually contributed. Mm. On a one year view, it would have hurt uh, because over four years we took out more than we put in. Right. Just looking at another company that's uh, quite an interesting one, 4D Pharma. That actually performed quite well in its early days after listing, but the yeah. share price has come off quite a bit since then. What's going on there? Again, um, the share price got well ahead of itself, and we we did sell some. So it came to the market at a pound back in 2014, and I thought I was quite clever selling some £5.60 yeah. <laughs> on the way up. And we took out our initial stake plus some profit at, at £5.60. Right. Then it went on up to um, £12, I think. So, <laughs> but actually, now it's back at its launch price. So the £5.60 looks, looks <laughs> a good sale. But at the time, you know, when it went and doubled from that, it obviously it wasn't. But we've taken out more than our stake. So it's actually making us money. And we've got our holdings still. And actually, the science is still good. Mm. In pharma, things always take longer than you think. The trials always do take time, and, and populating the trial takes time. It's quite, got some quite interesting technology behind it, yeah. using the human, um, gut. So the, the gut biome, yeah. The gut biome, um, and that is still a very interesting story. None of that has changed. What has changed, maybe the focus of the company's changed, it was more about Crohn's disease <clears throat> early on. It's now been broadened out quite a lot more. It will require cash to finance that mm. in time, and that's, that's, that becomes tougher in this market. That said, if the science is strong enough, mm. um, the money will be forthcoming. Moving on to some of the, the, the best performance, um, you, did, you mentioned Serica Energy a while back. That was a, a really small position initially, wasn't it? But it actually went on to actually you know, produce quite a significant performance for the portfolio overall. What was the story behind that one? Well, again, it's that bucket of small oils, of small oil companies. So you, there's always more risk. Some of them are binary, whether they come through or not. This one was less binary. They were buying proven asset. But it's it, it it was a very good deal they did off BP and in small oils there is this element that you either get it right or you get it wrong mm-hmm. and this one came right we do reduce every so often right but it's been a very successful gas play for us which is definitely different risk pro- profile to either the 4D we've just talked about yeah. or there's a lot of funds in <clears throat> industrials totally different and the great thing about it is. At the moment, it doesn't matter what the economy does. You know, if if you if if you have your reserves go up because you have a good gas find, it doesn't really matter what the economy does. There's, there's going to be a real yeah. value creation. It doesn't really matter what happens to Brexit and something like that. You know, if <laughs> if you do have a big find, you will have a successful investment. And moving on to a company that's sort of as far away from Serica Energy as you could probably get, Blue Prism. It's a very interesting one, that one, isn't it? It operates mm. with robotic uh, software technology. Tell us a bit about that one. Yes, again, just to give a feel for the price, it, it came to the market at, at um, 78p, I think, in in 2016, in March 2016. We sold some, thought we were quite clever, at £2.33. It kept selling small amounts, and we sold 
the next some more we sold some more on the way up then we sold some in last september at 25 pounds wow <laughs> um, and now they've now they've fallen back that they're at 14 so so you know why we need long lists is because we when you bought it at the pound at less than a pound it was unproven it's still there's still quite a lot to prove but it it has got real sales mm. and robotics in the workplace the replacement of people with robots is happening it's particularly this isn't particularly in the insurance industry where a lot of jobs and are moving to the bots and it is a it is going to be a feature of the rest of our working lives, the replacement of people with with robotics. And there will be some very big winners in that area. And I hope Blue Prism will be one of them. It, so far, so good. But as I say, the share price can get ahead of themselves. It's never going to be a straight line in putting on new business. And they're still putting on a lot of new business, may just... The quality of it may be questioned a bit at the moment, so the share price falls back to fourteen pounds. But that's why you could take profits on the way up. Mm. You need to run a relatively long list. When it got to four percent of the portfolio, we reduced it. It's very different valuation criteria used in something like that than you talk about strong cash flows. Well, this company would be absorbing yeah. cash because it's <clears> growing <throat> so fast. What have you been buying and selling lately? What's what's been catching your eye? There is some real value in the UK. People are very worried about Brexit. They're worried about the industrials, UK. And that is, we're going to increase that bucket of recovery value stocks, but we're going to do it slowly. We're going to increase the gearing slowly, and we're going to try and buy some of those industrials on bad days. So the industrials will be international will often be selling their goods overseas and there's concerns about what brexit might mean mm. for, for, for that type of stock some of the buying will also be in predominantly uk businesses and again uk assets are being marked down because of brexit mm. fears and you can buy on very low valuations companies with total UK earnings. And some of these can be quite big companies. We've talked about small companies here, but we're going to buy some Royal Mail, mm. you know, big company, but the valuation has fallen a long way. Worries about the UK yeah. economy, worries about Corbyn and renationalisation. That at a time <clears throat> when the UK's out of favour has led to the valuation being bashed down a long way. So it's really, a, I think, appropriate purchase shortly you know waiting to time it for royal mail we won't time it correct we'll make a start and and on further weakness we'll add more again that's why we need long lists you seem quite sanguine about brexit what sort of advice would you give to investors in terms of like their sort of mental approach to the whole sort of risk scenario surrounding brexit well for an investor i think we have to be opportunistic you know that's we called Henderson Opportunity Trust. <laughs> and Brexit could throw up value opportunities if if there's a real sell-off. If there's, there's, there's lots of scenarios, and as I say, I don't make any, I don't have huge conviction about any scenario, but one possible scenario is a hard Brexit mm. where we crash out and we move on to WTO rules. And it would, the reaction, I think, in the market, most people <clears throat> believe, would be bad. But things are never as bad as you're told, and they're rarely as good as you're told. So we will 
into that to be buying recovery type UK situations. Good solid companies that are being bashed up completely because of this noise. And then something happens. Something either we don't, either people suddenly decide that it's a bloody bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) And you see a huge, huge bounce. Or it's not quite as bad as people say, but the valuation will nearly always overshoot. On that note, James Henderson, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. Don't forget, you can access more great content, including Master Investor magazine at masterinvestor.co.uk. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can support us by hitting the subscribe button and by leaving a review. If you've got any suggestions about who you'd like us to interview or topics you'd like us to cover, please send us an email at info at masterinvestor.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Before investing in any investment referred to in this podcast, you should satisfy yourself as to its suitability and the risks involved. Nothing in this podcast is a recommendation or solicitation to buy, hold or sell any investment. Tax assumptions and reliefs depend upon an investor's particular circumstances and may change if those circumstances or the law change. Issued in the UK by Janice Henderson Investors. Janice Henderson Investors is the name under which investment products and services are provided by Henderson Investment Funds Limited. Registered in England and Wales at 201 Bishopsgate, London, EC2M 3AE and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Janice Henderson, Janice, Henderson and Knowledge Shared are trademarks of Janice Henderson Group PLC or one of its subsidiaries. Copyright Janice Henderson Group PLC.